You're listening to sermon audio from Grace Mosaic, a congregation of the Grace DC Network in Northeast DC. For more information about our church, visit us online at gracemosaic.org. Thousands of years, most of the world has lived in communal settings, deeply connected to the people and the institutions and the culture of a particular place. The issues back then for these communal people were exclusion and insularity and being controlling, but community was never in question. However, in the last 200 years, there's been a major cultural shift that has taken place in which the Western world has made a massive exodus away from the ties of community. What began as a means of escaping the smallness of village life and the grind of heavy-handed leaders around the world, it's turned into an escape from our true interdependence and shared life in community. Now, here's the deal. Life in previous ages had its share of dysfunctions and evils, to be sure. But we have to wrestle with the fact that we have lost some important things through this cultural shift that we've experienced in the last 200 years. It's important for us to understand the cultural climate in which we live. There is a, there is a cultural climate in which we live, and it's important for us to, to understand it. And here's the essence of it. Here it is, y'all. Every day, modern people are discipled in non-communal, individualistic ways of thinking and living. Those are the waters that we swim in. It's the, it, that's, that's everything that we're hearing in the messaging. That's what we hear in commercials. That's what we see in the hashtag, do you? Like all, all of these different things. They are forming us and shaping us away from community and into the ways of individualism. We are being socialized to believe that our own dreams... Goals and personal fulfillment should take precedence over the well-being of any group to which we belong, whether that group is your family, your neighborhood, or your church. This is what we're up against. Where people of the past understood one's sense of self to be a community project, things have changed now. Our modern culture gives us the instincts that tell us that the answers to our identity are found within, the answers within you. And we don't often realize that our struggles with identity stem from our detachment from community because we're trying to carry the burden of figuring out ourselves by ourselves. And it can't be done. It can't be done in a healthy way. And when modern people do talk of community, it typically conveys a fairly thin account that is therapeutic in nature. Which is to say this, which is to say this, community is there to help me do me. It's a plank in my plan to fulfill my highest dreams and desires. It helps me to regulate my sense of well-being. And if it stops working the way that I want it to work, then I'll just have to move on to something else and find something else that works. But I'm committed to that plan, right? And our American churches have not been left unaffected 
by these cultural shifts. Nowadays, check it out, churches offer religious services to religious customers who function more like consumers than a community. That's American Christianity. Professing believers today are are much more focused on what they can get out of the church than what they can put into it. Going to church is eerily similar to going to Costco for many American Christians. You have your list. You show up. You pick out the things that you want. You sample a few things. You leave the things that you don't want and you go home. That's the approach that many American Western individualistic people take as it relates to church. And now here's what happens. Ministries focus on attraction and the people focus on extraction. Let me take this out. Let me take this away. And ministries feel the pressure to entertain people like this is the circus. This is the cultural water in which we swim. And this has led many people to a sort of spiritual wanderlust. Let me go find the next fancy thing, the next um, exciting thing that's going on at another church. I heard another church has more exciting things going on. People are, are very hesitant to sink roots and deeply commit to the people and institutions of their place. Radical individualism has affected our whole way of viewing the Christian faith. And here's the kicker. It has profoundly compromised the solidarity of our relational life together. That's the, out, that's the output right there. When we talk about community, we have to realize what we're up against, what we're facing. It's this radical spirit in which we're being formed to focus on ourselves, to draw all of our resources from ourselves and to press on toward our highest ambitions and goals. And you know we're not against ambitions and goals, but when those arise purely from your own heart without any formative input from a community, they're doomed to failure. All this that I have said is the reason why it's so important that we not only gain cultural self-awareness, but that we also return to the teaching of scripture and the practices of the global and historic church so that we can understand what it means, what it looks like to be a community. And so we're starting a new series this morning uh, called The Household of Faith. And what we're going to do is we're going to do an extended uh, exploration of the theme of community. And so this morning, because here's the deal, we've been kind of separated from one another for a good long while, right? And so it's important that we remember who we are to be, not just as individuals, but as a community. Because our very mission, our personal well-being, our health and our vitality and our faithfulness are all hitched to community. And so this morning, I want to invite you to to turn with me to Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. And we're going to see uh, two points this morning. We're going to see the priorities of the household of faith. And we're going to see the growth of the household of faith. And they're connected. So let's look at our first point. The priorities of the household of faith. In the context leading up to our passage for this morning, we learn that the people in this passage, upon hearing and receiving the gospel, they gain a new sense of identity. A new sense of identity. 
After they are, the text says, cut to the heart at the preaching of the word, they come together and they're thinking, we are the, we're now the, the repent and be forgiven people. We are the people baptized into Christ. We are the resurrection people. And this new identity issues in new activity, which then brings us to our passage for this morning. Take a look at verse 42. It's in, in your bulletin. Take a look at it. Verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And they devoted themselves. And they devoted themselves. The Greek word is proskartaruntes. Now let me tell you what that means, all right? Break that down for you right quick, all right? This is what the Greek lexicon says about this word. This is what this word, this is the, the lexical or the dictionary sense of the meaning of this word. This is what it, to apply oneself exclusively to a certain thing. To apply oneself exclusively to a certain thing. To commit oneself to something tirelessly. To persist in something. To be busily engaged in something. Now, let me frame each of these commitments by way of contrast. All right? The early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching over the spirit of the age. They had shared theological commitments that kept them from, from being blown back and forth by every wave of popular sentiment, even if it was politically useful to believe those things. They had shared theological commitments. Now, some people are like, man, I don't care about all that theology. I just want to love Jesus. And I would say to you, which Jesus? And you would say, well, you know the Jesus of the Bible. I say, you're doing theology. Theology matters. Which Jesus? What's he like? How's he behave? What has he done? What has his work accomplished? They had shared theological commitments that kept them on the same page. And the early church community, their loyalties were not for sale. No matter who was trying to buy. They were committed to the apostles' teaching over the spirit of the age. And what we also see is that they devoted themselves to the fellowship over individualism. Now, I want you to notice something. It's very much on the front of the text. What they are doing in this passage does not appear to people like us to be better for the individual. Look at what, look at what they're doing. They are having all things in common. They were selling their possessions and distributing the proceeds to those in need. Let me put some flesh on this. They were taking their cars and selling them. I'll walk so that my brother or sister can eat. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to trim my savings account because my brother or sister right here doesn't have any clothes. They, they need to be taken care of. The group needs to be healthy above my own personal desires. So much of what is happening in this passage grates against everything in us. This is not individually better for them, it appears, right? But let's check on their attitude. You would expect them to be salty about it, right? Man, they had to sell, man, I had a dope piece of land. I had to sell that mug. 
to take care of the people. All right, I guess that's what it means to be in the church. That You would think that that would be their attitude, right? But what does the text tell us about their attitude? What was the emotional impact on individuals because they prioritized the community over the individual? What was the emotional impact? The text tells us they had glad and generous hearts. That they were praising God. The result of prioritizing the community over the individual was communal joy. We get no hint of felt loss or sadness resulting from their communal priorities. It's almost like they believed what the scriptures say when it says it's better to give than to receive. It's almost like what Jesus said is true. They believed it. They embodied it. And the joy was all theirs. Have you ever thought that one of the reasons why we're so miserable all the time is because we're an acquisitive people? Acquisitive means we accumulate. We just accumulate and accumulate and accumulate. Why? Because we're afraid. Why? Because of all kinds of other reasons. But we run around. We're, we're, we're a very well-off people, by and large, in our context. And so many of us run around agitated, frustrated, stressed out all the time. I don't catch any of that from this community. They were free. There's something there to think about. This is our tables. My favorite Langston Hughes poem captures the state of our tables and our society well. In his poem, I Too. This is how it goes. I too sing America. I am the darker brother. They send me to eat in the kitchen when company comes. But I laugh and eat well and grow strong. Tomorrow, I'll be at the table when company comes. Nobody will dare say to me, eat in the kitchen then. Besides, they'll see how beautiful I am and be ashamed. I too am America. Do you hear the pain and the longing in it? This poem is, is showing us the, the, the great American kind of distance that has happened. This has happened racially. This has happened ethnically. It's happened socioeconomically. Our tables reveal that there is something broken in our society. But when we look at the table of the early Christians, we see everything that was healthy and vital about them. Because they were different from us. We Americans are spending all of our time trying to build higher walls, literally and metaphorically. But our calling is to build longer tables so that more people can get around the table, so that more people can join in the feast, so that more people can taste the joy of the Lord that we believe we're headed to. That is our work. That's our calling. These folks devoted themselves to hospitality over detachment. For the early church, their tables became outposts of an embodied gospel, sites of welcome, reunion, love, and inclusion. They didn't have to agree with you to host you. They didn't have to share your commitments in order to welcome you to their table. We need to remember that many people will make their journey to the Lord's table starting at our tables. 
if we would only devote ourselves to hospitality. They also devoted themselves to the prayers over self-reliance. This was a community that demonstrated a deep dependence on the Lord and a deep dependence on one another. And this reality came through most powerfully in their devotion to corporate prayer. There wasn't anybody in that community that was afraid of sharing their needs because they didn't want to bother anybody. Have you ever heard anyone say that? Have you said that? That, that's, that's not the spirit of this early community. They weren't worried about bothering anybody. You know why? Because they had strong group values. And I'm going to read a quote on that in a second. But they, they expected that they were responsible for one another. No one's going to be bothered if I present my needs to them. They're responsible for me. And I'm responsible for them. We are bound together. There's no such thing as bothering one another. They knew that their greatest resource was only a word away. And that's how they shared life together. The resulting communal life was one of mutual love, friendship, celebration, and environment of care. You might sum it all up by saying that the early church was devoted to togetherness in everything. Togetherness in everything. This is what biblical anthropologists call strong group values. And here's how one scholar describes this. This is a different thing from the way that we flow, okay? Listen to how this scholar puts it. In a strong group society, the person perceives himself or herself to be a member of a group and responsible to the group for his or her actions, destiny, career, development, and life in general. Correspondingly, he or she perceives other persons primarily in terms of the groups to which they belong. The individual person is embedded in the group and is free to do what he or she feels right and necessary only in accord with group norms and only if the action is in the group's best interest. The group has priority over the individual member. And it may use objects in the environment, other groups of people in the society, and the members of the group itself to facilitate group-oriented goals and objectives. Amen? If you can't say amen, say ouch, all right? (laughs) My man. You see, now, now listen, everything in us rises up to defend ourselves, but all I'm telling you is that this is the context. These were the assumptions of the culture when the scriptures were written, and the scriptures are celebrating those commitments. The scriptures are celebrating these cultural sensibilities, and we have to let it work on us. If you find yourself getting defensive, there may be error hiding behind your defensiveness. That's just a general rule. This, this was a strong group kind of priority. And the beautiful thing is going to develop in the course of Acts uh, in this way. The, the communal devotion of these Jewish believers is going to make them teachable, repentant, and welcoming when it comes to opening up their community to the Gentiles. Remember, we're still in the, we're still in the part of Acts where this is largely the Jewish community that has come to faith in Jesus. 
And what's going to develop through the rest of the book is that the Jewish community is going to create an opening in their social circle, in their community for the Gentiles. And sure, there's going to be lots of stuff for them to hash out. But the beautiful thing is that they end up becoming one people together. It's, I mean, this is powerful. This is what's going to happen because of their strong group commitments. Because of their devotion, they had a place for the excluded and their mission profoundly advanced, which leads us to our final point, the growth of the household of faith. Now, here's the deal. Look at verse 47. There were no church growth seminars, no gimmicks, no tricks, no attractional antics. There was just something beautiful and compelling about the way in which this new community lived life together, committed to one another, loved one another, shared with one another, and sought the flourishing of one another. The Spirit worked in and through the church in the most profound ways because their community matched their gospel. Their community matched their gospel. The gospel announced that the far off were brought near. And theirs was a church and that brought the far off near. Their community matched their gospel. The gospel announced that sinners were loved and included. And theirs was a church where sinners were loved and included. The gospel announced reconciliation and reunion. And theirs was a church where they experienced reconciliation and reunion. The gospel announced repentance and forgiveness of sins. And theirs was a church that practiced the repentance and forgiveness that made mutuality and friendship flourish. The gospel announced the feast of God's hospitality. And theirs was a church that extended the feast of God's hospitality. The gospel announced the newness of resurrection life. And theirs was a church that enjoyed that newness of resurrection life together. Their community matched their gospel. And this explains the fruitfulness of their mission. Think of, I'm closing, think of the social maladies of our day. Loneliness, depression, despair, the need for approval, materialism. These aren't the results of some bland notion of sin or some generalized concept of brokenness or just brain chemistry alone. They find their energy in the Western American transition from strong group values to radical individualism. But what if we became that strange counterculture in the midst of all of this individualism? Could you imagine it? I want us to become that strange and refreshing counterculture. I want us to explore what our community could look like with a strong group culture. Take note this week. Here's the takeaway. This is what I want you to do this week. Take note this week of how often you're being socialized into individualism and spend some imaginative time reflecting on this question. If the Christians from Acts chapter 2 were dropped into Grace Mosaic's community, What would they say about the health of our community? How would they affirm us? How would they challenge us in light of the gospel? If you dropped any Christian 
from around the globe. Because it's not just ancient peoples who were strong group cultures. There are lots of strong group cultures around the globe right now. How would our brothers and sisters around the globe be able to inform us about the ways that we can grow up and improve the, the quality and the faithfulness of our community? It starts with our imaginations. And then it follows in our willingness to submit our hearts to the Lord and to work all the more earnestly to blend our lives together in love. That's, that's what a lot of people in your neighborhoods are longing for today. I want us to make this community so attractive by virtue of our love for one another, the way we serve and look out for one another, the way we invest in one another's well-being, the way we lean against our impulses to only be in it for ourselves, the way that we bring decisions to one another that need to be made. One of the, one of the signs that we aren't really leaning into community is that we make the most important decisions without any reference to, to our community, the people who love us, the people who know us, that we've been sharing life with. We come with a fait accompli. Like, I've already decided this, by the way. Here's what happened. About relationships, about, about calling, about all different kinds of things. What it means to be a community is going to become clearer and clearer as we work through this series. But I want to challenge this right now, and I want to invite you to start praying that the Lord will work in your heart and give you a clearer sense of what it looks like for you to lean into this community. This is what we have, and we want what we have to be beautified because mission is at stake in how we live life together. So let us take it seriously and lift it up to the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Grace Mosaic. For more information about our church, visit us online at gracemosaic.org.